This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. Welcome, Patricia, to The Lydia Project. It's so great to have you as my guest today. I really am looking forward to our conversation. And I would love to start by asking how you came to faith in Christ. I was born in a Christian family. My grandparents were converted from Hinduism. My grandfather's name was something like Rasa Yamutuelo Ratnam, but this wonderful Welsh missionary who converted him decided that was far too pagan. So he changed it to Roberts. So I grew up as Patricia Roberts, which was about as Welsh as you got in Sri Lanka in the 1950s. So I was I was kind of a Christian, I guess, all my childhood, but I really put it to when I was in my teens, I went to a Methodist missionary school and there were these wonderful British missionaries and it was at their feet that so many of us really naughty and, you know, bratty kids came to understand and know the Lord and have a personal relationship. So that's where I really put it down when I was about 13 years old. And so you grew up in Sri Lanka, which is a beautiful country, and you grew up on a tea plantation, is that right? Yes, I was born and grew up in a tea plantation, so I know to appreciate good tea. And my father was what is called a tea maker, which was he was in charge of a factory. It was the time of the British Raj, the colonials. So that's as high as the natives could go. So that's how I grew up and I love the plantations. I still love to go back, well, when, when there's no COVID. Yes, poor Sri Lanka's had the terrorist attacks. My son and I were actually going to Sri Lanka on a holiday, but the travel advice changed straight after that. Sri Lanka is not a country which is new to terrorism. So Sri Lanka has had like terrorism of various types bubbling. For instance, my husband and I belong to the two ethnic groups. I'm Tamil and he's Sinhalese. And there have been what the world would call terrorism between the two groups for a very long time. And then there's been terrorist attacks for the haves and the have-nots. So kind of we've lived with, you know, car bombs and uh, shootings and things. So just for some time there was relative peace and then the Easter attacks. So, yeah, it's developing countries. Sometimes that's just the way it is. You're far more relaxed about terrorism and bombs than I was. But anyway, how did you and your husband end up in Australia? My husband and I, how did we end up in Australia? Okay, so I did my, I did my medical training in Sri Lanka and did my postgraduate study in Hawaii. That's where I studied sexual health went back to Sri Lanka and we kind of landed in the 1980s right into the ethnic 
problem time. I almost said ethnic warfare, but it was a little short of warfare during the terrorism time. So being the two ethnic groups and our son Kamal was like half and half and, you know, schools were closed and universities were closed and we were living in this constant state of tension. So I had one brother here in the state in Australia and one brother in the States and they both wanted us to get out. So we kind of went, well, we'll just put in for migration and wherever the Lord leads, we will go. And so we were approved for Australia within a few months. So we thought, yeah, okay, that's how the Lord leads. Let's do it. So that's how we ended up here. It's now 31 years ago. So it's a long time. And you are now, I think, Australia's favourite Christian sexologist. <laughs> so tell me, what made you decide to specialise in sexual health? I did my medical training in Sri Lanka, did my postgraduate study in Hawaii. At that time, I was working with a sexologist. He is, well, was and probably still is, one of the world's best-known people who worked in gender. In 1980, I was helping him run gender clinics. So I was studying sexual health and worshipping in a wonderful evangelical Baptist church. So I tell people that's where I brought my twin passions of God and sex together, looking at the world and science and then seeing how God had a better plan. And that was exciting. When I went back to Sri Lanka for six years, I worked there. I was working with the Methodist Church, but also with the university and working as a sex therapist, busy, only sex therapist in the country with 20 million population. And oh, so you were, also, you were also Sri Lanka's favourite Christian sexologist for a while too. <laughs> I was Sri Lanka's favourite sexologist because the only one. Yes. <laughs> when we came here, I was with the University of Sydney as an academic. And I basically looked around campus and I thought, so much of sex, so little sex education. So I started an undergraduate elective in the Faculty of Health Sciences, which then morphed into a graduate program in sexual health. So I was teaching till I retired in 2012 as director of the graduate program. But when I retired, I was like, Oh, I'm going to retire, you know, do my knitting and knitting and travel. But God was like, nope. So I was invited by the Anglican Church and by Anglican Media to start speaking and uh, writing. And so that's where I moved into bringing my passions of God and sex to true fruition or flowering, I guess. So now at the ripe old age of 73... I'm talking about God and sex on Zoom. I love it, Patricia. <laughs> I am so grateful to God that he is using you in this ministry. It's so lovely to have someone who's so obviously passionate about Jesus and about sex being able to talk so winsomely about the topic. It really, it, it really is great. I mean, the Christian church hasn't always been great at talking about sex, and I think you bring such a down-to-earth, <laughs> joyful voice <laughs> into that space. So, yeah, I'm really grateful to God for what you do. What's the big message you want to give Christians today about sex? I can 
actually put that very simply, the world is confused about sexuality. We have a better message. We worship a God who created sex and he made it good. And like all good things, it comes with a purpose and a place where it gives the most pleasure. And that is one man, one woman in marriage. Simple message. But <laughs> there's complexities, aren't there, in our world today around sex and gender. And I think, you know, it is a bit confusing for Christians at the moment. I think how to sort of respond with love to all the LGBTIQ issues that are surfacing because they're complex, aren't they? They're really complex. And especially for people involved, they're real people, aren't they? What would your message be to Christians about those issues? Well, there's one basic message to all Christians about any issue about sexuality. And that is that there is a worldview and a word view, the word of God view. The world today is in what we would call a post-modernity, post-truth era, a time when it is about individualism, radical individualism. And it says that I am my sexuality. So I need to have my desires met and my sexual desires and the fulfillment of them is my identity. So I am my sex. So that's the worldview. And when we look at the word of God, we see a better message that says you, sex is more than the world says it is because it is a good thing for a good place, but it is also far less than the world says it is because it is not your identity. And so we have a message and our, as a Christian, I would like every Christian, every non-Christian to understand that we are not our sexuality. We do not place our identity. We do not place our fulfillment. We do not place our contentment on having our sexual desires and our gender desires met. We are more than that. We have every desire, every enjoyment, every fulfillment met in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that. Once we understand that, then we understand the word of God that clearly says male and female, he created them. So I take people right back to Genesis. And I say, look, when we say we are made in the image of God, this immediately removes the us and them label. We are all precious in the eyes of God. We are made in the image. But the next phrase, male and female, he created them. That's a very clear message. Then we can step back and we look at science. And I'm a sexologist, doctor, biologist, and we look at science. And we think, wait a minute, biological sex as God created is established at fertilization, at conception. 
139, you, God, knits me in my mother's womb. When I speak to teenagers, I tell them, your mom and dad were not knitting, okay? They were sex ever. But at that moment, when sperm and over meet, your sex is determined at that point. So your sex, your biological sex is determined at conception. It can be followed through pregnancy with all the ultrasounds. And it's only recognized at male or female at birth. See, in our world today, in the culture, we, the word that is used is assigned at birth. That is wrong. It's not as if a doctor picks up a baby and asks the nurse, Oh, how many girls have we had today? Oh, five. Okay, let's call this one a boy. That's not the way it happens. It's already determined at the moment of conception. And we need to be clear about that. Biology is the way God created it. And there is a clear congruence there. Science tells us clearly that biologically we are male or female. Of course, there is about one in 5,000 births where the clear development is disrupted. We call that disorders of sex development. A disorder doesn't mean there's a third sex. It's a disorder. So firstly, we need to understand the biology. Then we speak about we all have desires that are not in keeping with God's goodwill. I mean, Jeremiah, I think it's 17. It says, who can know the heart? It's kind of really sick. And even Jesus says, out of the heart come all these desires that really aren't good for you. And so we need to recognize that we all are sinful people with desires and feelings. So whether we are talking about a feeling of an identity that is not in keeping with my biology, or whether we are talking about a feeling of being attracted to someone of the same sex or being attracted to two male and female, which is called bisexual or any of the other 70 odd things that are on Facebook and Instagram, we understand that these are feelings. And so when we talk to people with love, the first thing is to love, just love people. You know, when people, when, when I do my talks on gender and I'm asked, so how do we respond? I say, the first thing is no, that we are all sinful people and we all have sinful desires and therefore we can love everybody as fellow sinners and invite them to the cross. That's the first thing. Love people. Be a friend. Because, you know, people who are struggling with gender issues, the word we often hear is trans or transgender, are often very disturbed. They're very scared and worried as to how the world's going to accept them. And so they have concerns. So just love people first. And having provided that friendship, what's the best thing you can do for your trans friend or your gay friend or your lesbian friend or your bisexual friend or anything else, polyamorous friend or anyone, is read the word of God with them. So once you've friended them, then you invite them into your world and share with them that which is most important to you, the pearl of great price. And so share your love, your love of the word of God. Because after all, that is the only thing that can save anyone, transgender or cisgender or anyone else.
Thank you, Patricia. So great to hear you talk about that. And I think that is just such, you know, just such true advice from the Bible that we need to all hear. So thank you so much. Now, I know you've also written some books for teenagers and I have been reading these with my teens over the past couple of years and I love them. At first I was like, okay, we're going there. Oh, we're going there. Okay. But I... I'm on board with the idea of that information coming from mum and dad and not from Google or the confused school friends. So, yeah, do you want to tell me a bit about, well, you've written another book, haven't you, for adults on sex. I haven't read that one yet. Can you tell us about that? Okay. Well, when I retired, I was invited to start writing. And the first book I wrote was Teen Sex by the book, which is probably the one that you read. So research-based, the kind of book you'd give the teenager to read because teens today just don't want to be told, thus thus says the Lord, do it. Because for too long, that's what the church has been seen to do. And that is just say, don't do it. We need our young people to understand when, when the Bible says, here's a fence or here's a don't do it. The fence or the don't do it is there because it's preventing something worse. You know, you kind of got to think if there's a fence, why is it there? If you take it away, is something going to happen? And so the don't do it's actually have a basis of goodness. And so that teen sex gives the biblical view, but underpins it with science, as you probably know if you read it with your kids. Then we wrote one for 10 to 14-year-olds, the puberty. So that was for parents to read, kids to read, and talk about. Then we wrote one for the primary schoolers, for parents and grandparents to read with the children, six little books called Birds and Bees by the book. Then we wrote one because couples... Because parents were saying, it's all very good to talk to our kids. What about our sex life? So we wrote one called The Best Sex for Life, which goes from the engagement right to the nursing home where my husband and I will be heading soon. So that was the gamut. Then, like finally, this is my final one. We are about to release, like within, like next week, the final book of the education series called Talking Sex by the book. And that is for parents and grandparents. And it goes through why as Christian parents and grandparents, we are the ones who need to be the ambassadors of Christ to our children, especially in this area. And then it goes through the science of What's the best relationship? What are the barriers that keep us from talking? And the second part of the book basically gives pointers on how can you talk to under fives, five to tens, 10 to 14, and then 15 plus on all these issues. That is their brain and development, pornography, looking after the body identity in Christ in this comparative social media world, and then understanding desire and falling in love and dating and mating and all those things. So we, we, it's a holistic 
parents, you can just flip and say, my kid is five to 10. I need to talk to them about porn and find a point in the book that you can use. So that's hopefully the final one. Hopefully, and then you can actually retire because you talk about retirement, but I don't think you'll retire, Patricia. I, I love doing creative writing. So I'm, I'm trying to find, well, I've got two books out for novels, but I'm trying to find time to do more writing of novels because I love my creative writing. That's my relaxation. So, Do you know, I didn't know that you wrote novels as well. Tell me a bit about them. Okay, the first one I wrote is a book that's actually, I was just looking at it today morning. I can show it to you, although your, your listeners can't see it. It's called Empire's Children. It's set in the tea plantations, Empire, the British Empire. And it's set in a time when the British were the colonial and the natives. And it's a kind of a, what I call social conscience book of the British, the natives, and the Indian labor who were treated like slaves, basically. So we have that. And then I wrote one called Snowy Summer, which is a blend between Sri Lanka and the Snowy Mountains, <coughs> and set in Jindabyne and Sri Lanka. And now I'm writing, I'm dabbling with one, which is like a time-shifting book set in Australia and Sri Lanka. So. I love writing and that's my relaxation. And so where can people get your books, both your novels and your guides to sexual health? They're all available in Koorong, through Koorong. And also there's a bookstore in Katoomba who are online called Wandering Bookseller. And also through my website, which goes direct to the publishers. I just love writing and I love speaking about sex and I love speaking to young people and parents about sex. So tell me, who's the 73-year-old woman who wouldn't say, I would love to be talking about sex and writing about sex all my life? <laughs> You're blessed indeed. <laughs> blessed. You've been doing a lot of uh, Zoom conferences in this time of COVID. Um, it's taken you now to all sorts of places around the world. Tell us a bit about that. Well, it's interesting. So just before the lockdown, I was the day, two days before, I was doing a talk in Austin Mill in, uh, near Wollongong. And it was interesting. It was a Sunday and I was like, wow, if we have a lockdown, guess what? You guys can say that the last weekend we met face to face, we spent the whole day talking about sex and it happened. I'm like, come back to Sydney. And the next day or two days later, it's like lockdown. So I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm getting these calls from my friends who are saying, it's all your fault. You said that you were tired of traveling. You said you were trying to traveling and this is what happens and now you don't have to travel. And I'm like, yes, I don't have to travel. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to do any talks. Then I keep getting these invitations to do talks on Zoom. And that's lovely because then I only need a blouse. I don't need anything under my waist when I'm doing Zoom <laughs> talks. So I've done... For once for Adelaide, I've done some for a couple, one for, well, one for Brisbane for a school. I did one for a church in Townsville. This Saturday, I'm doing one for a church in USA, Atlanta, Georgia. I've got about four 
for churches in Tamworth and Armidale and something in Perth, and that's as long as I can think in my 73-year-old brain can remember. Yeah, so it's very challenging, but it's also very exciting to actually how, you know, I just told God, I said, it's up to you, God. If you want to continue to use me, you can use me. But I'd like to have some time out. But God said, no time out for the old lady. (laughs) Not yet. You can rest when you get to heaven. So now that's retirement will be in heaven. Patricia, you've been a Christian for 60 years, (laughs) I think, now. 60 ever. 60. So what keeps you standing firm as a Christian? What keeps me standing firm, I guess, is the fact, well, a couple of things. One is that I'm just, I just have to be grounded on the word. I cannot start the day without the word and my husband just will not allow me to go to bed without the word. So that's one thing. I just have to be grounded on the word of God. So I have to read. I have to feed. But secondly, my husband and I met when we were both 20 years old. And he's a Christian because that's how we got together. We belong to the two ethnic groups. But he is a man who would openly say, I'm not a theologian. I just leave that to my son and wife. But he loves the Lord and he insists that we start the day, we end the day with prayer, and that he will not let me do a talk without praying with me. And when I'm traveling, he will, every night I have to call on the phone and talk to him. Even I was at GAFCON, which is the Anglican uh, conference in Jerusalem, and we had to time it so that I could call and we could pray once a day. So he keeps my prayer life and my spiritual grounding, that's what keeps me going. And do you have a favourite Bible verse or a verse that's significant to you at the moment that you would like to share with us, Patricia? Yeah, for me, I mean, obviously there's heaps of verses that are wonderful, but I love Romans chapter 12. And the way it starts, you know, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God at a time when the body is considered malleable and not worth anything. We are called to offer our bodies to Christ. And then that being our proper worship. And then we are challenged to not do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that to me is a key verse because today we are calling, especially our young people, to be counter-cultural to the world. It's almost like you can look, this is what the world stands for. Turn it upside down. That's what God wants from you. So be counter-cultural. I tell young people, be counter-cultural for Christ. You know, be out and proud for Jesus. So we need to challenge. And to me, that is a verse. Your body belongs to Jesus. And do not conform to the world. Be renewed. Hang on to the word of God. Rest on the Holy Spirit. Wrestle with the Holy Spirit to just embolden you to go ahead and live that countercultural life for Christ. 
Patricia, thank you for being such a good example of that, of someone who does just throw their heart and soul into sacrificing their life for Christ. I really appreciate your example in that. And thank you so much for your time talking with me this morning. It's been such a pleasure. I mean, I don't know whether I deserve the nice things you've said, but we all serve God the best way we can, don't we, Tori? Absolutely. Thank you, Patricia. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 